Welcome to Wisdom and the Word Podcast, the show that not only answers your questions from God's Word, but equips believers with the foundational truths for their faith. We're excited that you've taken time to join us and hope that today's content is valuable to you. In today's episode, Pastor Wiley continues his study through the book of Hebrews. Welcome to Wisdom and the Word. This is our Tuesday broadcast where we are spending time studying the book of Hebrews together. It's what we call our tune-up Tuesday and uh, giving us that uh, tune-up that we need uh, to continue on in serving the Lord and loving God and understanding the scriptures. And uh, we believe that Uh, You will be a better servant of God if you understand God's word better. And so we're working through this book, Hebrews chapter number five today. So if you would, uh, we're going to read verses five to 10, which will be our text today. Hebrews five, five to 10. Uh, This is week 15 of our study, and uh, we're hoping that you enjoy it. We hope you can go back and download all the other podcasts. If you did not have an opportunity to be able to um, to be able to follow along or you've missed one, uh, we've done the entire book of Hebrews up to this point. So. Um, We're going to continue today reading in Hebrews 5, 5 to 10. The Bible says, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made in high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, as we look here in this text, you'll notice that verse number five, it kind of picks up where verse four left off because of the thought. We don't want to interrupt the thought, so we want to kind of understand what's been said in the earlier verses. In the earlier part, verses one to four, the writer of Hebrews talks a little bit about every high priest or your average high priest. And he talks a little bit about him and a little bit about how that was established in the Old Testament. And we notice some things about that high priest, we noticed that um, we noticed that that he was again uh, called to do things uh, to God for people. Uh, we noticed that he had compassion on other people because he himself was a sinner and had to offer sacrifices for himself because he was a sinner. And then we also found in verse number four that he doesn't really have his own honor. He is uh, called of God, as was Aaron. That is, even though he had a lineage, it was God that called him and separated him out for this work. So we pick up in verse number five in this text, and he's going to say, so also Christ. So he's going to tie Jesus to the average high priest of verses one to four in these next five verses. And we're going to look at that. I've entitled this particular section, I've called it, My Son, the Priest. My Son, the Priest. Because in this text, it focuses on not only the sonship of Jesus, but the priesthood of Jesus. In fact, it tells us here in this text, and we'll look at it in a moment, that Jesus was called to be a priest by his father. He was separated out just as God separated the Aaronic lineage to be priests. So God separated Jesus Christ uh, after the order or the lineage of Melchizedek. So let's look here at this section entitled, My Son, the Priest. Notice with me, if you would, 
I want you to see in verses five and six, first off, the exalting of our high priest, the exalting of our high priest. Notice what he says in verses five and six. So also Christ. Now, so also Christ what? That is that the priest, the old Aaronic priesthood did not call themselves. They did not honor themselves, but rather they were called by God and honored by God with this responsibility. So let's pick up with that understanding. Verse five. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made in high priest, just as the average high priest, the normal high priest was not called uh, by himself or he didn't, did not say, this is what I want to do with my life. God called him. So we find in verse number five that um, Christ was not exalted to this position on his own accord, but rather he was called and separated out by God. Notice what he says. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. Well, if he didn't make himself a high priest, who made him a priest? Notice, but he that said unto him, that is, it wasn't, it wasn't Christ, it wasn't Jesus that said, well, I'm going to be a priest. It was God himself that said, he's going to be a priest because he's my son. You'll notice what he says in verse number five, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. So again, this is a reference to the sonship of the Lord Jesus. Now, he is not just a son of God, he is the son of God. Now, all of us are sons and daughters of God by virtue of our faith in Christ. We are joint heirs. Um, we are uh, we are put in a position where we are heirs of the things that God has given us in Christ. However, Jesus holds a special position. He is the only begotten son of God. He is the son of promise. He is the son of God. And you'll notice he says in this verse that just in the same way that the average and ordinary priest was did not call himself, so Christ did not call himself to this particular job and responsibility, but rather he was separated out by God. And you'll notice what he says, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And then in verse 6, You'll notice he goes on, as he saith also in another place. That is, let me give you further confirmation that Jesus Christ was did not glorify or exalt himself, but he was exalted to this position by God himself when he quotes here Psalm 110 and verse number four. He says, thou art a priest forever after the order of, of Melchizedek. So he quotes two Old Testament passages, Psalm two and verse number seven in verse number five, and Psalm 110 and verse number four in verse number six. And he does this to make this uh, make this case for Jesus Christ being exalted. He has been exalted to his position, not of his own accord, but of the accord and the choice of Almighty God. And so we find the exalting of our high priest in verses five and six. Now in verse number seven, I want you to see the experience of our high priest, the experience of our high priest. Notice what he says, who in the days of his flesh. Now, this is referring not to his incarnation, but rather to his life while he was here. In the days of his flesh, while Jesus was here, while he lived here, while he sojourned here, while he had human form in the days of his flesh. You'll notice the Bible says, who in the days of his flesh, this is talking about Christ's experience. The Bible says, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death. All right, so this is laying a foundation for us of Jesus' experience. Earlier on in Hebrews 4, it says, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That as our high priest, he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. 
Um, he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Why? Because he did live in the flesh. Because he did walk in the flesh. Now, you'll notice what he says here in verse number seven. In the days of his flesh, that is while he was alive, and then he draws our attention to a specific time in Jesus' life. When he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. Now, this is obviously referring to Christ's passion. It's obviously referring to his garden experience and probably to other places. When Jesus prayed to escape the clutches of death and having to pay for sinful humanity's sin at Calvary. Jesus knew what that was going to be. He knew what the physical suffering was going to be like. He knew the wrath of God that was going to have to be laid upon him. He knew the depth of that suffering as God. And so in his humanity, he had a dread of it. He did not want to have to do it. You'll notice the Bible says he offered up prayers and supplication. You remember what he said. Jesus said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And you'll notice he says, with strong crying and tears, the Bible would say that his sweat would become, as it were, great drops of blood, that the angels would come and minister to him in that moment, that he cried out to God with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, that is unto God, unto God who had the ability, unto God who, uh, his father, to be able to say, God, let, let this cup of death, that this bitter cup, of tasting death for every man, let it pass from me. That's not to say that Christ was a coward. That's just to say that in his humanity, he had, as he looked ahead in anticipation of what he was going to have to do, uh, he did not favor it. It was not something that he um, that he looked at with joy in the sense of, of being able to see beyond the pain. He saw the pain. He saw the heartache. He saw the suffering. He saw the the, the cross. He saw what was going to happen there. And he dreaded it as well any of us would, looking ahead and being able to see. Thankfully, God does not give us the time of our death or the time of our demise, and we're unable to see it. We ought to be thankful that, that Christ, even though he was able to see it, was willing to endure it, was willing to go through it for us. So the experience of our high priest, notice this last phrase, and was heard in that he feared. Now, uh, this particular phrase is not referring to the fact that Jesus was afraid of the cross, not that he was afraid of suffering. That's not what's being referred to here. The concept of fear is, is awe and reverence, and it leads us into the next verses, which is going to talk about Jesus' submission to the will of God. And so that is his prayers were heard because when he came to the Lord, he came to God in fear, in understanding of his will, in in subjection to him. Um, it, it does mean fear, but it really is, is dealing more with not a, a human type of fear uh, in anticipation of the event. Jesus, we know from earlier on in the verse that he was strong crying in tears and he wanted to be saved from death. But when Jesus feared, he came, he knew the enormity of the task. He knew that he had to subject himself to the will of God. He knew that he had to go to the cross. And so when he prayed, he prayed with great fear, uh, great fear and, and respect and, and great fear and subjection to the will of God. Now, we see his experience, the experience of our high priest in verse 7, but I want you to see the equipping of our high priest in verses 8 and 9. 
The Bible says, though he were a son. Now, this is exalting the fact that Jesus Christ has a special position. The same thing we hear in verse number five. He has he is the son of God. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So well, Jesus was God. How could Jesus learn obedience? Well, it's kind of made clear to us in verse number nine when he says, in being made perfect. The concept of completion or wholeness, that is, Jesus learned a type of obedience that not many people will learn, that all of us should want to learn. It's not that Jesus learned obedience, period. Jesus knew what it was to obey. In fact, he was sinless. But Jesus knew what it was to have to obey God in spite of circumstance. Jesus knew what it was to obey God in spite of difficulty and hardship. He knew what it was like to push through and push beyond, push beyond his, his sorrow and push beyond the anticipation and push beyond the horror of what he could see coming. He had to push through and become and learn this special type of obedience. That's what it's referring to. Notice he learned, learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. That is, as Jesus suffered, he learned a, a subjection. He learned a complete obedience, a whole obedience an obedience that many Christians never learn. He'll say here in verse number nine, and being made perfect, that is complete whole, he became the author of eternal salvation. That is, he was equipped through his suffering. He was equipped through his suffering to become the person, the savior that, that we want him to be. That is, he identified with us. He took our sin upon him. And in so doing, he identified with us in the same way that the average high priest had to offer sacrifices for himself because he also was a sinner and he also lived in the flesh. Jesus came and lived in the flesh. And even though he did not sin, he learned a full and complete obedience that led him and uh, equipped him to be the author of our salvation. He says there, and being made perfect, that is complete. That is, he learned complete and total obedience, what it means to completely obey God in spite of, of difficulty and problems. Uh, that's one thing that people suffer, uh, that people struggle with so much is obeying God when things are not easy, obeying God when things are hard, obeying God when things are difficult learning full and complete obedience. Christ learned this lesson. He went through this lesson and he became perfect. That is not that he wasn't perfect. The concept of perfect is whole and complete. He was completed in his obedience. He was complete in, in the way that he learned this and that enabled him to become the author. That is the beginner, the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, all those that obey and come in faith, all those that believe and come to Christ, he is able to, to save them and has become the author. And what has equipped him to do that is the suffering that he went through, the suffering that he over, overcame, the, the perfect ability to be able to subject himself to God and to God's will in spite of the fact that he knew what was coming. So we see the equipping of our high priest in verses eight and nine. And then lastly, I want you to see in verse 10, the eternality of our high priest, the eternality of our high priest. The Bible says, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You'll notice at the end of verse number nine or middle of verse number nine, he says the author of eternal salvation. In fact, um, if you go back to verse number six, thou art our high priest, how, how long? Forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's what Psalm 110 and verse number four says. 
So when we get back to verse 10, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, understand that Jesus was a high priest, but he was a high priest, not because he was after Aaron or not that he was a Levitical priest. Jesus was a priest because he was chosen by God and singled out by God in the same way that Melchizedek was singled out and chosen by God. You say, well, who is this Melchizedek fellow? Well, we're going to get to him when we get to Hebrews chapter number uh, end of six and into chapter number seven. But suffice it to say, Jesus is called of God as a high priest. He was not he was not just born into it. He was separated by God for this work. And he is the eternal author of our salvation, our eternal salvation. His priestly position is eternal. It's not uh, temporary. He's going to be forever because he lives forever and he reigns forever. And he sits at the right hand of God forever. He's called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what a wonderful text this is, beginning in verse 5 down through verse 10, as God talks a little bit about through the writer of Hebrews, my son, the priest. What a great thought here that Jesus is our high priest and Jesus advocates for us. And he learned what that what it meant to be perfectly and fully obedient as he pushed beyond the boundaries of suffering to do the will of God. What a great thought in our lives. We hope that you've enjoyed this Thursday broadcast of, excuse me, this Tuesday broadcast of Wisdom in the Word. Uh, we hope it's been a blessing to you and a help to you. We hope that you'll write in some questions for our Thursday. We'll continue to add those to our list and answer those. We hope that you'll join us on our next episode. Uh, if there's something that uh, we can answer for you, send those along in the form of a question. We're so grateful for you today. Have a great rest of your day. God bless. Thank you for joining us today on Wisdom in the Word. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wisdom in the Word podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to support us by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this show on your favorite podcast app and sharing something you've learned on social media. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you next time on Wisdom in the Word.